The word dramaturgy is unusual enough that my phone's autocorrect function changes it to dramaturgy. Even for theater makers, the concept is nebulous enough to prompt articles about it in major newspapers with headlines like, What the Bleep is a Dramaturg? In my dramaturgy classroom, I aim to demystify dramaturgy as an art form by recognizing that, as scholars and theater makers, we all already commit acts of dramaturgy regularly and enthusiastically. In my books, dramaturgy is an act of creation and more of a mindset than a set of rules, regulations, and duties. I'm Professor Molly Seremet, and it's such a thrill to welcome you back for season two of Writ in the Margins, a podcast that harnesses dramaturgical thinking as a performative act of creation. This podcast was conceptualized, researched, written, produced, and realized by the graduate students in the Shakespeare and Performance Program at Mary Baldwin University. For season two, we are bringing you 13 episodes that unpack, investigate, reimagine, and sometimes even push against five wildly different plays. El Muerto Dissimulado, or Presumed Dead, by Angela de Azevedo. The Antipodes, by Richard Broom. The Island Princess, by John Fletcher. Loa to the Divine Narcissus, by Sor Juana Inez de la Cruz. And Life is a Dream, by Pedro Calderón de la Barca. These plays sit alongside Shakespeare in the universe of early modern drama, but each has its own unique terrain and orbit. And each episode offers a close look at key features of the landscape from a dramaturgical perspective. In their research, students have deployed tools of structural analysis, contextual synthesis, and creative intervention, and have intermingled their research with performed scenes, original music, and special features galore. Feel free to listen to the episodes in this season in any order. I hope you'll also go back and revisit season one as well. Do visit our website for show notes, transcripts, and bibliographic materials. We appreciate the support of Mary Baldwin University's Shakespeare and Performance Program in this endeavor. Now that's enough for me. On to your episode of Writ in the Margins. What's up, Beth Somerville? Hey, I got a question for you. Yeah, what's up? Why does a Spanish Golden Age comedy about love, confused identity, and darkness have the word honor appear 48 times? You know what? I'm really glad you asked. And on today's episode of Written the Margins, we're going to talk about what kind of seat honor has at the table of Spanish Golden Age drama. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. In this episode, we'll be talking about the Spanish Golden Age drama House of Desires by Sor Juana Inez de la Cruz, who we will refer to by her shortened name of Sor Juana. Written in 1683, this farce takes place over the course of three days in Toledo, Spain, and explores love, lust, and the Invisible Tenth cast member, Honor. Throughout, we will see characters who maintain the strictest code of honor and characters who manipulate the rhetoric of honor for their own desires. First, let's talk a little bit about genre and Sir Wanner's subversion of expectations for her audience, which would have been the nobility of New Spain. Or Mexico, as we now know it. Amongst other upper-class patrons. 
The most popular type of drama for the Spanish Golden Age was Commedia Nueva. Or new drama. A type of theater that consisted of three acts mixing tragedy with high and low comedy, pulling plot points from history, myth, and Christian religion. It often consisted of several subgenres, such as cloak and dagger, romance, comedy of intrigue, and comedies of manners. Those in attendance would have expected a play that covered one of those subgenres. Sor Juana, however, mashed together all three and presented a work of met- metatheatricality that was farcical in nature, but also kept true to the traditional honor plays of the time. Oh, that's really interesting, Chase. What's an honor play? So here's the thing. Uh, Scott K. Taylor, a historian who was the first to really dive into the question of honor in the Golden Age of Spain, discusses how what we thought was a literal code of honor was actually more about rhetorical ways of dealing with reputation. The plays of the period, however, perpetuated this idea of honor being a strict code to be followed. In the, quote, honor plays written at the time, there were three characteristics of honor that were repeatedly followed. One, that a man's honor is dependent upon the women of his family. Two, that the woman's reputation was tied to sexual behavior, because of course it was. And three, any form of dishonor was to be met with violence as revenge. And the really cool thing about honor plays was it wasn't just for men of a certain class. Men and women of all classes were expected to adhere to this dramatic code of honor, as we see apparent in nearly every character in House of Desires. You mean to tell me men weren't the only people allowed to have honor? No, Chase. All right, let's talk about honor in the family in House of Desires. So Spanish Commedia has a connection to the Italian Commedia dell'arte, which uh, most people would be familiar with, with the stock characters and the use of particular masks. Uh, The biggest instance of this is seen with Don Rodrigo, the father of Dona Leonor, and he is known as a barba. Um, I wasn't able to find too much information about Abarba specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, not able to find a whole lot about Spanish stock characters in general. Uh, but he does have this connection to the Vecchi, which in Commedia dell'arte are, which means the old men. Uh, specifically, the Dottore and the Pantalone. Um, the Pantalone is this character who, he's very miserly, um, Don Rodrigo really isn't, but his big thing is he has a daughter, he is able to fall for one of the seven deadly sins, which still kind of stems outside of Don Rodrigo, but it's more of that general connection than anything. So he would have been this character that the audiences would have known about and kind of would have had this idea that, oh, he is going to be this old man who is all about money and all these things. But once again, Sor Juana subverts her audience's expectations by having him only care about honor. Right. It's kind of like she took this idea of stock characters and instead of making him a recognized character that like we would know from Commedia dell'arte uh, and really leaned into one of the first characteristics of honor in the honor play of a man's honor is dependent on the reputation of the women in his family. Yeah. And in, 
in that way, it becomes a stock situation rather than a stock character because we see yeah. him showing up at, at Don Pedro's house knowing that his daughter has either been stolen in the night or has run away with a lover, um, not knowing that it's not knowing who it is because mm-hmm. he doesn't know that it's Carlos. And that it's actually out of good faith and good love. Right, right. Carlos and Leonor <clears throat> are running away because they they don't believe they'll be able to get married because of their uh, their status is too different. Mm-hmm. Um, so Rodrigo shows up at Pedro's house, and correct me if I'm wrong, thinking that perhaps it's Pedro mm-hmm. who has taken her. And in his mind, the only way to reconcile that so his honor isn't destroyed because Leonor's honor would be destroyed is to have Pedro marry Leonor. The fact he cares so much about honor that he's literally, literally like, yeah, so I don't know if it was love or if you kidnapped her either way. You're going to marry her because honor is important. And I know you care about honor because I care about honor. Right. Which is so funny. Right. And in that way, it it's honor becomes the most important thing. Like he literally doesn't care if Leonor went with Pedro willingly or unwillingly. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's all about making sure she has not been dishonored. And the way to do that is to have Pedro marry her. It's like we were talking about this invisible character. Mm-hmm. Honor literally has to be tended to and taken care of. Honor is always, at least when it comes to uh, Don Rodrigo, honor is always within the room. Honor is of the highest mm-hmm. priority. Mm-hmm. And for someone, it's interesting because Rodrigo mentions over and over again his status is not very high mm-hmm. um whether through poverty or whatever his occupation is he knows that his status is lower than pedro's the only thing holding his status together is the honor of his family and his name exactly which just makes the scene all the more interesting I don't want to necessarily say funny, but I'm going to use the word funny because mm-hmm. you have uh, in the scene, as which we will show, that uh, Don Pedro has this little aside where he is very confused about this whole thing about he's calling me his son-in-law. Mm-hmm. Um, he knows who she actually ran away with. I've messed up. But it's not that he is messed up in terms of honor it's that he just realizes he's goofed um i also want to point out in one of his lines he does say uh today i lose my honor and my life Mm. um and even being the character who has is the lowest on the hierarchy of who how they handle honor he still places it before his life Mm mm-hmm which is an interesting observation. Right. At this point in the play, Don Rodrigo understands that his daughter, Donna Leonor, has either run away with a man or has been kidnapped by one. The humor of this scene is that both things are true, but there are two different men involved. While Leonor willfully ran away with her true love, Don Carlos, Don Pedro intercepted them and kidnapped Donna Leonor. 
Don Rodrigo assumes Don Pedro has been Donna Leonor's lover this whole time, and they have eloped together because their differing class status would not allow them to marry. Out of fear of dishonor to his name and reputation, Don Rodrigo goes to Don Pedro to insist he marry his daughter, which has been Don Pedro's goal this whole time. Here is the speech with Chase as Don Rodrigo and myself as Don Pedro. It is important to note that Don Pedro's text is an audience aside, and Don Rodrigo cannot hear what is being said. You may have guessed, Don Pedro, that what has brought me to this house is honor, since mine is in your hands. As you know, honor is such a precious gem that all noble and worthy men must protect it at all costs. Honor is a crystal so finely polished that though a blow to its perfection might not break it, breath alone will sully it. No doubt, Don Pedro, you share this view. Now, since you are to be my son-in-law, it is to my advantage to see your honor protected. See how jealous I am of my honor. See how I guard my good name by jealousy protecting yours. Now, my son, given all of this, you are aware that Don Carlos de Olmedo, as well as being of noble stock and illustrious inheritance... He's just named Don Carlos in my presence. Where is this leading? And he's not even mentioned marriage. Doubtless, he's found out that Don Carlos is the one who fled with Leonor. Today, I lose my honor and my life. The color has fled your cheeks, and I am not surprised, for you would not be noble or wise if you did not pale at any threat to your honor. But you are the perfect example of the trials of love, and your own guilt makes honest another's offense. You should not be shocked by those that share your sins." So in this excerpt, we heard the word honor said eight times, seven by Don Rodrigo and once by Don Pedro. And I think it's very useful, too, because, um, as you said, we talked about this hierarchy um, and how Sor Juana has built this into her play. And in just this little excerpt in, uh, in and of itself, we see this very traditionally honorable person and the least honorable person in the play Mm -hmm. come together and you see that in a numerical statistic of seven to one um but it's also interesting to note too that while don rodrigo is this character who talks a big game of honor how he it is the cornerstone of who he is as a human Mm -hmm. uh and what his belief system is he says honor so many times. He doesn't act on it the same way that somebody like Don Carlos does. Right. And I think therein lies the argument for saying Don Rodrigo is not at the top of this honor hierarchy that mm-hmm. Sorwana has built for us. I think it is definitely fair to say, based on the three elements of honor, the third one being defending mm-hmm. your honor violently if need be, therein lies... Don Carlos. Um, we see right off the bat when he and Leonor are um, being intercepted when they run away, he nearly kills one of one of the guards. Um, I think it's one of Pedro's cousins, which just complicates the plot even more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's exactly why he thought that it was 
uh, Pedro, who was uh, kidnapping right. Leonor. Yeah. Pedro's not exactly the sharpest knife in the drawer. Um, Very clearly. It's, it's almost <laughs> like he was obviously the kidnapper the whole time. Wow. <laughs> Um, but you see it again and again, like even when Carlos knows he has seen Leonor in the house of Don Pedro and he, there are several times that he and Leonor could very easily find each other and run away. He thinks Donna Anna is in trouble. So he, by his honor code must stay behind and defend her with violence because that is what honor demands of him. So therefore Carlos is absolutely at the top of this this honor hierarchy that Sarwana has built. Don Carlos is such a sweet, precious bean. Yes, I use those words. <laughs> because uh, he does something that uh, cough, cough, Shakespeare's men could never do, and that's use his brain. Mm. He sees uh, Leonore in the house, and he has a moment with Castaño where he's like, what is she doing here? She might be in love with Pedro, oh God. And then he stops, and he's like, No. There's a logical explanation for this. And you know what? I don't really have time to think about it because my goal is to make sure that Donna Anna's honor is not stained. Right. Right. Because he understands once a woman's honor is stained, it's over. And at least in the theatrical realm. Right. uh, Which I also want to bring up because we mentioned earlier with um, Scott Taylor's research about the actual quote-unquote honor code being this rhetorical thing Mm -hmm. don rodrigo fits the truer definition of that because he is talking it it's rhetorically this is what i'm gonna do this is how we're gonna handle it his quote-unquote revenge is a forced marriage right right it's almost like if there was a true written code of honor that would be carlos but what we actually have historically is this rhetorical code of honor, mm-hmm. which is Don Rodrigo. Um, I think it's interesting, too, this, this hierarchy that Sorwana has set up leads us into this idea of class distinction. Mm-hmm. Um, like we mentioned earlier, men and women of all classes were expected to abide by this rhetorical code of honor mm-hmm. in theater. And it's, in the servant characters in this play, they're less servants more confidants Mm -hmm. and they all act um i mean they all follow their uh the orders of the people that they serve but they also all act independently Mm -hmm. of that um which i think is really interesting so you've got celia you've got castano and you've got hernando Mm -hmm. right and like you said they all have their own uh self-interest in mind while also serving their What's, what's the word we want to use here? Because I feel weird about using the word masters. Yeah, they don't really feel like masters. Um, it feels very much like they would, like Celia would be the lady in waiting to. It gives me Amelia and Desdemona vibes. Yeah. With that relationship. Yeah. Like, like Celia is very clearly a different class than Donna Anna. Mm-hmm. Um, but she still has her own independent agency. Mm-hmm. She's not just some no-name servant or messenger. Donna Anna is literally like, yeah, you're going to help me with this. And then she literally tells all her secrets to her. Right. Right. And then you've got uh, Don Carlos and Castano, who he really uses Castano as um, 
as a sounding board mm-hmm. for what he is going through, like kind of like a therapist, I guess. I know. He really trusts Castano to to go through all of those vulnerable emotions mm-hmm. um, with him, like a friend, you know, rather than a servant. And because you think about that, and you think about this class distinction. And the fact that, uh, taking Celia, for instance, um, she's here, she is doing everything that Donna Anna wants her to do, but meanwhile, Homegirl has literally hidden Don Juan in Donna Donna Anna's room, and was like, oh, can't tell her that her lover that she has jilted back in her old town in Spain is here because they were practically engaged. Right, and that's the thing, he's not just a jilted lover, he's... Basically her fiancé, yeah. based on courting ritual, they are engaged to be married at this point. And then Donna Celia Anna, wants her to follow that because right. her honor. Right. Celia, even though maybe some of her actions could be seen as uh, less than cool. <laughs> for lack of a better <laughs> for term. For lack of a better term. This is an academic podcast. Uh, she acts out of maintaining Donna Anna's honor. Mm-hmm. And then you have Castaño, who he has a whole conversation with Don Carlos, and he's basically like, well, why don't you go with Donna Anna instead? Clearly she has a thing for you. She is of the same class. Your reputation will be great, because the only thing Leonora can really offer you is, what, a degree? She's smart. What's that going to do for you? Yeah. Which is hilariously, I think, a little bit of Sorwana poking fun at her critics. um, Because she was so smart and she was self-educated. And definitely went through a period of her life where she wanted to be more formally educated. And Mm -hmm. her family said no. Um, So that that feels like a... A a, uh, A direct... Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. A not so subtle. Um, okay. Look where I am now. Yeah. I am writing plays. One of the to be performed in the court playwrights of yeah. the time. Because um, there was this whole thing about the audience, um, something you see with early modern playwrights and the such, is that unlike us, where we're like, oh, look at these plays where they're older. We have no idea of their intentions or what they were like thinking about here. But the audience at the time had the ability to go and be like, you wrote about this. That's so cool. Well, it's the Hamlet complex, right? So today's audience, we look at Hamlet and go, what a whiny little boy. Mm -hmm. But Hamlet is acting on a strict code of rhetorical honor Mm -hmm. that we just don't get Mm -hmm. anymore. And the only thing that... There's modern proxies that have tried Mm -hmm. to, like, get us to understand these sort of things. Because to us, an honor code is more about what we're taught in school of treat others how you want to be treated. Yeah, the golden rule. Yeah, exactly. Do unto others. We don't have this, you shall not blemish her reputation or you shall be slain in the street kind of thing. Right, right. A family's reputation is not uh, dependent upon... Uh, the sexual behavior of the women in the family. That's that's just not how we are anymore. Exactly. But you know what I think does uh, kind of make the audience or the audience make people 
in a contemporary setting really understand it. Tell me, Chase. So there is this wonderful little movie <laughs> from 1989. Oh, don't at me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I believe you're familiar with the quote. Hello, my name is Inoya Motoya. You kill my father. Prepare to die. His whole entire plot arc, at least when we first meet him, because to be honest, it has been a hot minute since I've seen the movie. Uh, I know. I could tell you word for word anyway. Of course you can. <laughs> um, his whole thing is avenging his father's death. Mm-hmm. Death. Ooh. And maintaining that honor. The honor of the family. And mm-hmm. um, while we were talking about things, you brought up this really good question of, why is it we look at Hamlet and say, mm, you're just a whiny little baby, but we look at Inigo Montoya and we're like, yeah, go yeah. you. Yeah. We vibe with him. Uh, probably because Hamlet's a tragedy and The Princess Bride is a comedy. So genre probably does definitely play into it, which even goes back into Swarovana and her right. uh, expectation of like um, the audience is going to be like, oh, we're sitting down for a nice little cloak and dagger usually tended to be comedies. Yeah. Um, with like swashbuckling characters. Right. And then surprise, we're in a comedy of intrigue with its really complex farcical plot points that you can, you really need like a flow mm-hmm. chart. And then keep. surprise, we're blending into a comedy of manners. Yeah. And then plot twist, it's a romance. Like it is all over the place. And I'm not going to say nonsensical. No, it all makes sense. You just really have to pay attention. And it, and at its core sits this invisible character of honor, which, like I said, I feel like is a very useful metaphor. Because um, it's something that is constantly being tended to, something that we are constantly reminded about, much like um, Inigo Montoya's line, his mm-hmm. catchphrase, is said mm-hmm. repeatedly throughout this mention of honor is that rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Um also made note about how um, Montoya is very, is kind of the Don Rodrigo of he is the more realistic honor type. It's all rhetorical. Yeah, which I guess Wesley would then be Don Carlos. Yeah. Yeah, and Buttercup is, I suppose, Leonor since she's the kidnapped princess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, it's a, definitely a modern adaption of the cloak and dagger. It oh, has sure. more to do... It weirdly fits more with House of Desires than it would a Shakespearean play. It sure does. Plot twist. This is now a podcast about The Princess Bride. Here we are. <laughs> um, it really does. And I mean, I think at the core of The Princess Bride, much like at the core of House of Desires, this idea, an invisible character of honor always floats above. Influencing choices Mm -hmm. and you can also see that same hierarchy of most honorable to least honorable in the princess bride Mm -hmm. and it's this idea of like honor if you ignore how important it is you're gonna end up who was the character who with the poison and the switching and he drinks the poison and it kills him because that is Don Pedro in the situation. You know, it's either him or the prince. Because both Don Pedro and the prince in The Princess Bride end up with nothing. 
No women for them. No wives. No honor. No honor, no marriage. No honor, no marriage. Dishonor on you. Dishonor on your cow. Now we're talking about... Um. (laughs) Well, and I think that's, that's the point. Characters who ignore honor end up with nothing. Whether rhetorically... Whether theatrically, mm-hmm. no, nothing for you. And that's another place where Shakespeare could never. Because exactly. Sorwana said, if you are a gross man, you get nothing. It's almost like plays written by women have a tendency to have really better happy endings. What? No, Shakespeare, of course. <laughs> we're literally studying him. him right now. Um, <laughs> we're getting degrees in, in the Shakespeare. bard himself. Shakespeare school. Now that Beth and I has, have successfully made this about the princess bride... And how much Prince Humperdinck sucks. Mm, let's wrap things back around to House of Desires. At the beginning of this episode, we asked what place at the table does Honor have when it comes to Spanish Golden Age drama? I think it's pretty fair to say that Honor is the matriarch that sits at the head of the table. She's always there ensuring her family is provided for... And she always sends the bad seeds to bed without supper. We're looking at you, Don Pedro. And Prince Humperdinck. Thanks so much for listening to Written the Margins. On behalf of my awesome students, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. All opinions shared on this podcast belong to episode hosts and their special guests, and do not necessarily reflect the positions of our places of work and study. Please check out our show website for more resources, including show notes and transcripts. Now don't be a drama turkey. Listen to another episode.